0: Oh this sounds better. Welcome to Wednesday Night Live. This is the class that puts peak to your week and makes the rest of the week go faster. We're glad that everybody's here. In this class we want you to ask questions. We want you to make comments. We believe in learning from each other where nobody's exactly the the no at all but we together search God's word and come to some conclusions so hopefully we're going to be doing good and we're in chapter 5 now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded your wealth in the last days. Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. And you fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Now, we're going to look at the Living New Testament, Volume 2. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated and will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you've held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your field have reached the ears of the the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, tonight's one of those tougher sections to get through. We ask you to help us to be honest and to look within ourselves and see how much of it applies to us and how much we can do to bring you glory. Help us to understand and to apply and I ask you help me get out of the way that people can see you in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's James talking to? Wealthy the wealthy Sadducees. Probably wealthy. Uh, wealthy Christians. Here could be wealthy Christians or wealthy Sadducees. It could be either one. Rich. These are very rich people that he's talking to. Okay, what are some of the warnings he's given them? Y'all have to talk up. We don't have a lot of people here, so y'all have to speak up.
1: David. That their wealth is like a representation of her greed, which is a sin in itself. And what they've done to accumulate that wealth is sinful.
0: Okay, very good
2: it's not going to last. It is. It, it, it will deteriorate, it will rot, it will fade away. Your cattle will be butchered, whatever. It, all of it's symbolic of
0: Okay, wealth, very good. Wealth
2: isn't lasting.
0: Excellent. Was that a raising of the hand? Or is that a touching of your glasses? <laughs> Okay, touching up your glasses, got it. What's his tone towards him? That's not hard to grasp. Damon? I think it's very assertive. He's very upfront and blunt with
3: what he's saying.
0: Very assertive, very upfront in what he wants to say. I wonder why? Yeah, yeah, a lot of these people would be supportive of that. They would have been there. Sue?
2: Because what they're doing and what they have done has hurt other people. You know, Christ was one, but talks about the poor and how they mistreated the poor. And so people had suffered because of what they did.
0: Yeah, okay. This is one of those things that gets clearer as you go through and look at some of the commands in the Old Testament. For instance, Leviticus. Leviticus is the first full-blown expansive look at the law. And in it he says, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Isn't that interesting? This gets a little more interesting. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy. Whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you you will be guilty of sin. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness. His upper rooms by injustice. Making his countrymen work for nothing. And not paying them for their labor. Now in the original language, this is a, a real pointed statement. It is, they will never get paid. So he's got the work out of them, but he's never going to pay them. He says, I'll build this great palace with spacious rooms." so he makes large windows in it and paddles it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you feel like a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just. So all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy So all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes are on your heart, and set only on dishonest gain and shedding of innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. Uh, Let's see if I can make this a little clearer. I won't pick on Damon because he's right up here. You're a poor man, and I'll be the rich man. And you work for me all day, either in my fields or building me a palace or whatever it takes. And at the end of the day, I say, I'll pay you tomorrow. If he's poor, he's depending on that day's pay to feed his family. So when I withhold that money, his family goes hungry. Now, he feels pretty good. He's getting this done for nothing, but, or I feel pretty good. But he, you don't get into his shoes. You don't try to find out what's happening to the, the person who is, is poor. You don't care that he can't feed his family. Does that make it a little clearer? Okay, you consider yourself rich or not? How many consider themselves rich? Oh, good, it's unanimous. Sue considers herself rich, and that's because you've seen the statistics. (sighs) She has a head up on all of you. Half the world lives on $2 a day. An estimated 30,000 children die every day simply because they're poor. Can't afford food, can't afford doctors. They can't afford it. And because they can't afford it, they, they die. The richest 20% of the people in the world, which includes us, Consume eighty-six percent of the goods in the world. Now I didn't come up with these. These are pulled out of a study. But it gives you a feeling that we, we're sitting pretty good. Okay. Matthew nineteen. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the picture is meant to be cute. So if that's not cute for you, it was meant to be. The eye of the needle was a a small hole in the wall where donkeys and goats entered the city. So the idea of him actually getting what we consider the eye of the needle is not the same. If you have donkeys and sheep entering in the eye of the needle, what if you put a camel in there? Camels are big and they've got the the humps on the back. They're huge animals. And Jesus says it's hard for the rich man to enter heaven. You might as well try to get a camel to go through the... The opening in the walls. When the disciples hear this, they're astonished. Who can be saved? Jesus looked at it and with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I don't want to leave the idea that that you can't break hold on money but we get kind of crazy about it. I had a lady who wanted us to pay some of her bills because when it reached a billion dollars, she determined she was going to win the billion dollars and spent all of her money on lottery tickets. She didn't win. (laughs) So how would you go about breaking your hold Breaking hold of money and living just for money. The silence is deafening. Sue,
2: well, it's it's hard because you have to change your values, what's important to you, and I think that it takes uh, asking God to help you.
0: So you think it it takes an effort in changing your values and it takes prayer. Did I hear you correctly? Thank you, Sue. What do you know about the early church and wealth? nothing so well, you had the, the
2: poor widows in Jerusalem
0: or widows the in Jerusalem sat,
2: and there was a real squabble about the fact that because they were Gentile they weren't being fed um, you have the, the story about the rich rich people thinking the poor should sit at the back of the table or at the the back of the church or or on the floor.
0: Uh, You're doing great. They
2: weren't welcomed in like somebody who came in and buying clothing.
0: Okay, so we're talking about the women, uh, the Grecian widows in Acts 6, if I heard you right. And then we're talking about James when he talked about the rich man comes in, and you say, hey, you get it. you get the seat of honor. By the way, the seat of honor was up front then, so, so you could hear clearly. And now it's pretty well in the back, but that's okay. And then you have the, is that a point, Damon? No, you moved your glasses. Dangerous, my class. What are they doing in, in the... In Corinthians, Second Corinthians to be exact, 8 and 9, Paul's going from town to town to town to collect money for poor saints in Jerusalem. And because he's going from those spots from town to town to town, He's going to take the money and take it back to Jerusalem to get them out of a a situation that's tough right now. What do you think the current church might have because of wealth?
2: financially, uh, have more power, they tend to move up in, in leadership positions quicker.
0: Okay, so people who are wealthy tend to lead, move up in leadership quicker? I didn't understand the first part.
2: decision-making.
0: They have more power in decision-making. Yeah, in some churches they do. Damon? They can value wealth more than they value church. Time at the church. They can value wealth a whole lot more than they value church. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that one. Have you ever heard, oh, Susan, I'm sorry. so there's no outreach to those people we just assume they'll just find you so sometimes we almost exclude the wealthy and push them out, is that what you're saying? Is that, that's what I'm hearing you say? good and sometimes they, they, it's the opposite we sit there and say do you know that lawyer who makes all the money? maybe we could convert him and we forget that some people probably can't convert him. Okay. <laughs> I got some, no, that's not going to happen. Okay. Doug.
1: We got an online comment from Cindy Foreman. She talks about favoritism, which is kind of what you're talking about there. Uh, I like what Susan said. We don't have missions to the country club, but we do have inner city missions. We have missions to the poor, things like that. Uh, what nobody, nobody ever really talks about going to Wall Street with a mission or a uh, country club. Why? They've got their own gods, basically, a lot of times. Um, something I kind of also saw, the, today's church, it's even hard for us in America to understand the church in Zimbabwe. Campion's newsletter, a lot of times, well, not necessarily Campion himself, but uh, Araton and Peter and Agrippa, those guys, a lot of times, when you, when you read their letters... The collection was $2 worth of coins and a book of matches. And, you know, if that's what you're going to live on this week, uh, it'd, be, it'd be tough. It'd be tough. It'd be hard for us to understand why they have a feeding program for the kids, why they go to the prisons twice a month to, to bring the gospel. It's just that much different.
0: Very good point. Sometimes we have a dependence on wealth and an over-dependence on God. If we have a lot of money, we just sort of count ourselves lucky and we, we go with the wealth. If we don't have money, we go with God. Because we don't have any idea of ever getting rich. So it can go either way. I think you all did great on that one.
2: That the money's always going to be there, and uh, we don't, you know, we don't have to ask God or thank God for anything that I did it on my own, and I'm taking care of myself, and I'm doing well at it. And we we don't have to trust God to do anything.
0: Okay, sometimes we, we sort of take care of ourselves and don't feel a need for God in our lives. Very good. This is a a quote. Now you're living in luxury and self-indulgence, trusting your wealth to shield you from the hard things in life. But you won't have that option in the future. You'll have to face the consequences of your misdeeds. James not only saw a present judgment, their wealth decaying, their character eroding, but a future judgment before God. Wiersbe one of those commentators who keeps it really down to earth whenever you get into his stuff. He's, what if he, you don't want to get into the Greek and all that kind of stuff, you just want to know what it says? Wiersbe's your guy. Another quote. Let's get to the heart of the matter. If I'm constantly just thinking about acquiring stuff for myself, I've got to wonder where my heart really is is my heart really changed? I don't genuinely really care about the needs of the world. If I really see myself as this mist, this vapor, that's here for a short time, man, there's something wrong with me. My heart, if I'm not just content with knowing Jesus, knowing the creator, and knowing someday he's going to return, But instead, I'm busy defending all the stuff I'm acquiring for myself. Let's not argue about this object or that object or whether it's right to get it. Let's instead look at our hearts and go, why long for these things so much? And why am I inquiring more and more for myself and neglecting those who are in need? And that's commentator Francis Chan. He goes a lot deeper than we're speaking. So, James warns the rich and the powerful about the coming judgment. James now tries to look at the church with the same reality. One day Jesus will come to rescue his people for those who are oppressed and persecute them. Okay, 7 through 9. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other. Brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above my own, Above all, my brothers, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For example, the patients in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure the suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Okay. What's the main exhortation that he gives his readers in 7 through 9? Be patient. Do you want to elaborate?
2: Well, he goes on to say, "Be be patient because the Lord is coming. You know, it's you've got to endure now, but be patient."
0: Okay, very good. Why do they need an exhortation?
1: It sounds like they're running out of patience. They're grumbling, they're they're judging one another, and they're just it. They're running out of patience.
0: Okay, good. Sue?
2: Some of them them may be that people that he was just talking about on the other side of being the people that are being mistreated, that are suffering, that are having to put up with a lot of things. uh, And he just, he tells
0: them to be patient. Okay, know. very good. Great. What illustration does James use to show his readers the meaning of patience that would help them understand what he's trying to exhort them to do? Yeah, it's a lot like that today. Nobody trusts God, they, they trusted themselves. Okay, very good. Let's make somebody a farmer. Jim Seltzer will be our farmer for tonight. He's a farmer in the Mediterranean. He plants his crops before the first rainfall. And they start to sprout after the first rainfall. How long does it take for him to get enough of his crop in? First crop is in the autumn. It doesn't produce, it just starts out of the ground. It's not going to be till spring that the second rain comes. And all he can do is wait for the second rain to come. In a very
2: arid, arid country, and it's different from living in Florida. Of course, right now we wonder, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just different from the way we plant here. We plant in the spring, and then by August or September, we've
0: got our crop in. Uh huh. Here it's <laughs> not that way, but there. The people he's writing to, that's the way they did it. They knew what a farmer went through to get a crop. Notice the emphasis on patience and perseverance. That's going to become real important for a second. So let that sort of settle. So what does he mean that the Lord, the coming of the Lord is near? than it was before. It's a good answer, Matt. was then. <laughs> people
2: that were, had given up that he wasn't going to come back again.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. So he had people giving up because the, the coming hadn't happened in their lifetime. Even though... James writes this even though Jesus had told his disciples no one knows the day or the hour not the angels in heaven nor the Son, just the father. And yet James is sitting there saying hey, it's close. I wonder how James knew when even Jesus didn't know. Now, I'm pulling your legs as much as I can, okay? He knows, but we've got the rain. Jim being the farmer, he's got to wait. Autumn, all the way through to the spring rain. The emphasis is on Patience. If it's on patience, maybe it means something different than you can look down the road and Jesus is going to be there. Whether
2: Jesus comes back or whether we die and go home, it's only going to be a short time.
0: Yeah, whether, whether Jesus comes back or whether we die and go home it's going to be just a short time very good
3: Fulfillment of the Kingdom of Heaven was, was really near being Jesus, and I've always heard that, and I believe that, the last days started when Jesus died on the cross, so I think that is the urgency in James, we, it, could, it could come tomorrow, mm-hmm. we don't know, um, like you're saying, we, it could come tomorrow, but Every day it's near. And I think also with the two seasons, I, another thing I've heard a lot recently uh, that's been sitting on me is God's not going to do his thing too early. and He's not going to do his thing too late. God does his thing right on time every time. And, you know, sometimes it takes a lot longer to grow certain produce or or sometimes your crop doesn't grow the way you want it to, but it's going to yield fruit. And when it does, there's going to be a blessing from it. So.
0: Very good. Thank you, Matt. You too be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Why this warning?
1: Heidi has a comment online from earlier, but it applies right here. Because things get hard, and it's it's hard, to re, it's hard to persevere.
0: It is hard to persevere. Thank you, Heidi. Sue. I haven't about it to
2: her comment, but when we grumble, it shows a lack of patience. Things aren't the way we think they should be now.
0: Yeah, it shows a lack of patience in it and what they should be now is that what you were saying okay thank you what lies at the root of most grumbling anybody want to take a shot Thank you, Grant.
3: The root of most grumbling to me personally in my life is usually when I'm bitter. Bitterness comes from a lot of different angles, like Grant was just describing, but usually it's from feeling like things aren't going the way they should. Bitter.
0: Okay. Okay. So the farmers, in this time, day and time, were known for helping each other out. Now, Jim, I think, was our farmer. He doesn't get his crops in unless Damon and Grant and Matt and Jim would be willing to to come together and, and do it together. They harvest it together. And then they hire people that, to fill out the room, but each farmer helped each other out. Christians need to understand that we're in it together. And sometimes we're not there. We're not to the point where we're together without thinking about what happens if we're not. I won't pick on my wife so nobody gets upset. She might, but uh, she knows I love her. If I'm talking bad about her, and a non-Christian's listening in, I wonder what conclusions he'd come to. Anybody want to take a shot? He hears it all the time. How are Christians different? Damien
1: stereotype off of those actions to all christians they might say all christians grumble all christians complain they compete with one another
0: yeah they could apply it to all christians all christians are like that they're they're just all like that
1: he also would know that you're the one that knows her the best if that's your opinion of her that's the only opinion he has of her
0: okay so it can be just a matter of opinion my opinion, and I've been picking on Sue, and her opinion might not be the same thing. That's true in our marriage. Sometimes her opinion and my opinion are not the same thing, but they're equal. Doug was
2: saying that your opinion of me, when you spread it or say it and other people hear it, then they think the same thing because that's the only thing
0: they know about me. Okay. Is that what you were saying, Doug? Okay, thank you. I appreciate you helping me out. Okay. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Uh, who's your favorite prophet and why? Sue. Yeah, who's name a, a prophet that points to patience?
2: think most of the prophets were, I would call them saints because they were so patient. They kept on preaching and teaching the people and warning them and begging them to come back to God and and they didn't listen and sometimes they were like Jeremiah, you know, thrown in a well and, and beaten and and
0: all kinds of bad things happened to them. And they still kept on. Yeah. And, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah kept telling them, Babylon's coming. Babylon's coming. And they weren't listening. But when Babylon came, he suffered just like the rest of them. Seems true of Elijah. He's my favorite prophet. He predicts a a drought. Guess who went through the drought? Everybody, including Elijah. He sends him to a brook and has the the ravens feed him, and then the brook dries up. And he's got to go into another country to be fed by a woman, miraculously. Miraculously. And then he comes and he has a contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. He's outnumbered 400 and some to one. He wins that battle and his reward, Jezebel says, by tonight, you'll be dead. And he's running for his life. That was the life of a prophet. Okay? Okay. how do these kind of bible examples help them see what god wants from us and the importance of those things
3: damon i think he wants us to
1: you know really be patient in our lives and try to work through the lows the sufferings and endure in order to reap the rewards. And, you know, not just endure and survive, but endure with our best faces and our
0: highest qualities. Okay, very good. Very good. James says the prophets are examples of... Somebody tell me the story of Job. Where do you find him in chapter 1? He's rich. He's got a big family. Ten kids. He's thought of as wise. Everything is flowing his way. And then Satan says, let me do some things and take it away from him." And James... And Job, the first four chapters are kind of examples. In the first three, he loses his family. Where there were ten kids, there are now ten graves. His wife tells him to curse God and die. It's an invitation for him to commit suicide. He loses his wealth. And he loses his health. And then his three friends show up. Helia Bill Dad, and so far. And it would have been better if they hadn't shown up, because they give him a piece of her mind that they couldn't lose. And they keep telling him it's because of sin that he kept saying, time out. No, he doesn't keep saying that. Still blue. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar Keep blaming him, Job. You must have sinned terribly, and he kept saying, "No, I haven't." They said, "Yeah, you had to. You suffered like this. No, I haven't. Yes, you have," and it goes on that way and on and on, and finally God comes down and He helps Job see that his friends are all wrong. And Job at the end of it says something very significant. He says, before I heard about you as God. Now I see you. Last scripture. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. This is just simply be a man of your word you don't have to testify, you don't have to make an oath to anything, but if you say yes, make it yes. If you say no, then make it no. But don't say yes when you mean no and no when you mean yes. That's not what God's after. Okay, we have to quit here because we're out of time. But next week we will finish the book of James. So tune in and be ready to hear the last of the book of james 13 through 20. i appreciate everybody who contributed it tonight and i appreciate you who are tuning in thank you and i hope it's a great week for all of you